The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle. Volume 3, The Guillotine. Book 3, The Girondins. Chapter 6, The Traitor. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 3, Chapter 6, The Traitor. But Dumouriez, with his fugitive host, with his King Ludovicus or King Philippus, there lies the crisis, there hangs the question, revolution prodigy or counter-revolution. One wide shriek covers that northeast region. Soldiers full of rage, suspicion and terror flock hither and thither. Dumouriez, the many counselled, never off horseback, knows now no counsel that were not worse than none. The counsel, namely, of joining himself with Coburg, marching to Paris, extinguishing Jacobinism, and with some new King Ludovicus or King Philippus, wresting the Constitution of 1791. Is wisdom quitting Dumouriez, the herald of fortune, quitting him? Principle, faith, political or other, beyond a certain faith of mess-rooms and honour of an officer, had him not to quit. At any rate, his quarters in the burgh of Saint-Amand his headquarters in the village of Saint-Amand-des-Boux, a short way off, have become a bedlam. National representatives, Jacobin missionaries, are riding and running of the three towns, Lille, Valenciennes and even Condé, which Dumouriez wanted to snatch for himself, not one can be snatched. Your captain is admitted, but the town gate is closed on him, and then the prison gate, and his men wander about the ramparts. Couriers gallop breathless. Men wait or seem waiting to assassinate, to be assassinated. Battalions nigh frantic with such suspicion and uncertainty, with Viva la République and Sauve qui peut rush this way and that. Ruin and desperation in the shape of Coburg lying entrenched close by. Dame Genlis and her fair princess d'Orléans find this burg of Saint-Amand no fit place for them. Dumouriez's protection has grown worse than none. Tough Jean Lee, one of the toughest women, a woman, as it were, with nine lives in her, whom nothing will beat, she packs her bandboxes clear for flight in a private manner. Her beloved princess she will leave here, with the Prince Chartres Egalité, her brother. In the cold grey of the April morning we find her accordingly established in her hired vehicle on the street of Saint-Amand, postillions just cracking their whips to go, when behold the young princely brother, struggling hitherward, hastily calling, bearing the princess in his arms. Hastily he has clutched the poor young lady up, in her very nightgown, nothing saved in her goods except the watch from the pillow. With brotherly despair he flings her in among the bandboxes, into Jean Lee's chaise, into Jean Lee's arms. Leave her not in the name of mercy and heaven. A shrill scene, but a brief one. The postilions crack and go. Ah, whither? through by-roads and broken hill-passes, seeking their way with lanterns after nightfall, through perils and Coburg Austrians and suspicious French nationals, finally into Switzerland, safe though nigh moneyless. The brave young Egalité has a most wild morrow to look for, but now only himself to carry through it. For indeed, over at that village named of the mud-baths, Saint-Amand-des-Boux, matters are still worse. About four o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, the 2nd of April, 1793, two couriers come galloping as if for life. Mon général, 
four national representatives, war minister at their head, are posting hitherward from Valenciennes, are close at hand, with what intents one may guess. While the couriers are yet speaking, war minister and national representatives, old Camus the archivist for chief speaker of them, arrive. Hardly has Mon General had time to order out the Hazard Regiment de Berchigny than it take rank and wait nearby in case of accident. And so enter War Minister Bournonville with an embrace of friendship, for he is an old friend. Enter Archivist Camus and the other three following him. They produce papers, invite the General to the bar of the Convention, merely to give an explanation or two. The General finds it unsuitable, not to say impossible, and that the service will suffer. Then comes reasoning, the voice of the old archivist getting loud. Vain to reason loud with this Dumouriez, he answers mere angry irreverences. And so, amid plumed staff officers, very gloomy-looking, in jeopardy and uncertainty, these poor national messengers debate and consult, retire and re-enter, for the space of some two hours, without effect. Whereupon archivist Camus, getting quite loud, proclaims in the name of the National Convention, for he has the power to do it, that General Dumouriez is arrested. Will you obey the national mandate, General? Pardon ce moment-ci. Not at this particular moment, answers the General also aloud, then glancing the other way, utters certain unknown vocables in a mandatory manner, seemingly a German word of command. Hassars clutch the four national representatives and Bernonville, the war minister, pack them out of the apartment, out of the village, over the lines to Coburg, in two chaises that very night, as hostages, prisoners, to lie long in Maastricht and Austrian strongholds. Yakta estalia. This night Dumouriez prints his proclamation. This night and the morrow, the Dumouriez army, in such darkness visible and rage of semi-desperation as there is, shall meditate what the general is doing, what they themselves will do in it. Judge whether this Wednesday was of halcyon nature for anyone. But on the Thursday morning we discern Dumouriez with small escort, with Chartres Egalité and a few staff officers ambling along the Condé Highway. Perhaps they are for Condé? and trying to persuade the garrison there. At all events, they are for an interview with Coburg, who waits in the woods by appointment in that quarter. Nigh the village of Dume, three national battalions, a set of men always full of Jacobinism, sweep past us, marching rather swiftly, seemingly in mistake by a way we had not ordered. The general dismounts, steps into a cottage, a little from the wayside, will give them right order in writing. Hark! What strange growling is heard! What barkings are heard! Loud yells of traitors! Of arrest! The national battalions have wheeled round, are emitting shot! Mount Dumouriez and spring for life! Dumouriez and staff strike the spurs in deep, vault over ditches into the fields which prove to be morasses, sprawl and plunge for life, bewhistled with curses and lead, Sunk to the middle, with or without horses, several servants killed, they escape out of shot range to General Mack, the Austrians' quarters. Nay, they return on the morrow to Saint-Armand and faithful foreign Berchigny, but what boots it? The artillery has all revolted, is jingling off to Valenciennes. 
all have revolted, are revolting, except only foreign Bershigny, to the extent of some poor fifteen hundred, none will follow Dumouriez against France, an indivisible republic. Dumouriez's occupation's gone. Such an instinct of Frenihood and Sanscolotism dwells in these men. They will follow no Dumouriez, nor Lafayette, nor any mortal on such errand. Shriek may be of sauve qui but will also be of vive la république. New national representatives arrive. New General Dampierre, soon killed in battle. New General Custine, the agitated hosts draw back to some camp of Famars, make head against Coburg as they can. And so Dumouriez is in the Austrian quarters, his drama ended in this rather sorry manner. A most shifty, wiry man, one of heaven's Swiss that wanted only work. Fifty years of unnoticed toil and valour, one year of toil and valour not unnoticed, but seen of all countries and centuries, then thirty other years again unnoticed of memoir-writing, English pension, scheming and projecting, to no purpose. Adieu, thou Swiss of heaven, worthy to have been something else. His staff go different ways. Brave young Egalite reaches Switzerland and the Jean Lee cottage with a strong crab stick in his hand, a strong heart in his body. His princedom is now reduced to that. Egalite the father sat playing whist in his palais Egalite at Paris on the sixth day of this same month of April when a catchpole entered. Citoyen Egalite is wanted at the convention committee. Examination requiring arrestment finally requiring imprisonment, transference to Marseille and the castle of Yves. Orléandom has sunk in the black waters. Palais Egalité, which was Palais Royal, is like to become Palais National. End of Book 3, Chapter 6